episode 362. I was the guy that went over to other shops and marketed our shop. Hey, you can't fix that. Guess what? I got this equipment. Bring it to us. We all make money. It's capitalism. Let's all make money and learn how to market it so we all make money. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hi, Carm Caprietto here, and welcome to Remarkable Results Radio and to the brassy and bold sixth installation of Tech Talk with Bob, Peter, and Matt. Listen, satisfying the forever student with a treasure trove of knowledge is what we do. And we've added a book section to our website to bolster your personal development and growth. As my friend Barry Barrett says, leaders are readers. Check out the new page and see all the books we've discussed on the podcast. Go to remarkableresults.biz slash books. Hey, looking for a hands-on real-world technical training experience? Well, Garage Gurus offers on-site training in major markets across the country, providing the equipment, tools, and know-how needed to help keep your next job on track. Find out more at fmgaragegurus.com. And congratulations to Brent Berman, who leads Garage Gurus for Federal Mogul, who recently won the Mort Schwartz Excellence in Education Award. Congratulations, Brent. A shout-out to new Facebook friends Brian Ponder, the ASCCA San Jose chapter, and Rodney Mitchell. And LinkedIn Connections, Monica Liu and Mike Goss. Get social with the community at remarkableresults.biz slash social. Okay, now you're ready to dive into our continuing Tech Talk series. The guys are back for another go at some weighted thinking. Join Matt Fonslow, the Diagnostic Tech Shop Manager at Riverside Automotive in Red Wing, Minnesota. Peter Landry, ASEL1 Master Automotive Technician from Brookfield, Wisconsin. And Bob Hype from Mobile Auto Solutions, LLC, and Lead Tech and Technician Manager in the Chicago area and Northwest Indiana. Both Peter and Bob work for Mobile Auto Solutions. This episode and the series is built on an open mic concept, anything goes format that you've come to appreciate from this trio. They are talking valuing techs, mentoring, marketing your diag capabilities, building a personal network, improving diagnostic skills, ATIS, and a whole lot more. Find the key talking points at remarkableresults.biz slash E362. Now Peter Landry, Bob Hype, and Matt Fonslow building upon the first five episodes. Here's number six in the Tech Talk series. Hey, welcome everybody. Tech Talk part six. No, is it seven? Is it six? What number? Well, if you would leave the mic running... We would have got six, seven, and eight done last week. <laughs> yeah, I know you're absolutely right. Because when we ended, when we ended number five, we just kept going on and on and on. And and frankly, guys, I have to agree with you. There was some classic stuff there that we left on the cutting room floor. Glad to see you guys, Bob Hype, Matt Vonslow, Peter Landry. Golly, wow, our sixth, our sixth get together. Oh, wow, and. Um, and the people who listen, they they want more and more of you guys. So um, I guess we have to deliver. Thanks for being here. So um, Matt, how was Auto Mechanica? Uh, 
Well, I know you were there. Tell me, give, give me a give me a, a high quality review in a minute or less. I was allegedly there. Uh, I suppose to critic to be critical, it could have been better attended. Better attended uh, by okay. the tra- trade show and um, the training courses provided, the seminars. Uh, I think we're very poorly attended. Other than that, the uh, the venue is actually quite nice. Uh, the Georgia World Congress Center is a good space to have uh, a trade show and training event such as Auto Mechanica. I believe it's there again next year. Okay. Uh, so location near Atlanta Airport is it's close. Oh, it's not going to be in Chicago? No, I don't think so. I think it's in Atlanta again. Somebody told me that uh, the contract had been signed for Chicago. That's interesting. I was under that impression too, but the the word I got was they're going to have it there again. Uh, it's within a short walking distance of uh, Phillips Arena and the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But, you know, when I was down there, I was kind of thinking I was pretty critical of Auto Mechanica. And maybe for the trade show, they're going to have to reassess what they're doing and uh, how they're re- recruiting and taking care of their vendors. But I was thinking about the training side of it. You kind of have to be under a rock not to know about Auto Mechanica, be unfamiliar with the name and where it is. And I'm just, just kind of thinking about it. You can only do so many promotions to try to get attendance and being that they're so poorly attended, I think this is going back to a industry or trade culture of training or lack of training, either techs demanding training, seeking training or shop owners, managers demanding training of their employees. I mean, we're in Atlanta. That was in Atlanta, right? So there's gotta be a few shops in and around the area. If a shop owner or a manager asks their techs, hey, look this class list over, does anything intrigue you? And they say yes or even no, send them the training. Those numbers go through the roof. So I think we as a trade, we as an industry have to accept some responsibility for the attendance. So Matt, you're really what you're saying is we have a participation problem. I think we really do. Uh, I understand that there's main training events that people are going to travel a long ways for, and that might soak up the budget. But even in the grand scheme of things, maybe kind of alluding to uh, G's rant, just the local shops in that area or within, let's say, a few hours of that venue, where is the demand of management for their techs to go attend these. Yeah. Even if it's a one or two techs, they don't have to shut the shop down. You know, there's, so, I think there's management training as well. So when it was in Chicago last year, uh, I had stopped um, at a shop. And this was before Vision and commented that we were shutting down our company for a day and, as a company going out to vision and uh, and then uh, they had asked me about it and I brought up auto mechanica in Chicago and uh, 
told them it's free training and that if I was a shop owner, I would close the shop for that one Saturday and send all my guys to that free training. And uh, the next time I saw them, I said, so did you guys go to the Auto Mechanica? No. So there's a, a ton of apathy going on in our industry. We know we have to train. We talk about training, but we never pull the trigger. And we never seem to want to do it. And it was free, I believe, last year. This year there was a price. But, you know, I have to tell you, when I saw the the trainers that were there, and I've seen the social media buzz about everyone who was there, Matt, there was one hell uh, of a group of, you know, up top shelf trainers in our industry with, with great course content. There was a really tremendous number of trainers down there, or a uh, uh what would you want to call it? Offerings of different trainers. And it was still pretty darn good after they canceled a bunch of the uh, courses or seminars because of lack of attendance or lack of uh, interest. But the bottom line is if you went, you got your money's worth and more. Absolutely. It goes back again. Yeah. You get the training. We keep hammering it because it's important about the networking meeting other technicians, meeting and forming relationships, personal relationships with other technicians, other managers, shop owners, vendors. The list goes on and on and on. And we keep coming back to it because it's really important. It plays a huge part in each one of our success. So we talk about this a lot on the podcast. We uh, read about it a lot in uh, in magazines. Guys, is there is there an answer, or are we just beating a, a terrible, you know, flywheel here? We're going round and round, and there's no conclusion. Maybe the real goal should be to uh, find some sort of mentor, as opposed to just meeting other industry professionals. I'm I'm not sure that that is the answer. It's just something to you know, kind of throw out there. Somebody that is truly looking to get the most out of their training experience. Somebody that's somewhat motivated. If you're not motivated to get there, you're just, who's going to mentor you? You're, you're a waste of time. You've always counted on Moog to keep you ahead of the pack when it comes to chassis innovation. Well, they've done it again. Most recently launched is the Moog ball joint with a pre-installed integral dust boot. It's designed exclusively for compression-loaded suspension systems, providing superior strength and durability for these types of vehicle applications. The dust boot is made from higher-strength materials and comes pre-installed, saving you time because it's easier to install. It also has a larger contact area against the stud, which makes a more effective seal. For your customers, the unit uses Moog's powdered metal gusher bearing that provides longer life and controlled radial and axial movement. You get the industry's leading coverage of 10,000 SKUs, including 4,600 for foreign applications. Hey, you've been installing Moog confidently for years, and now you know why. Know why you install Felpro, the gaskets professionals trust? Every part that goes into a Felpro box is validated and approved by a Felpro engineer. Product testing and validation is an integral part of Felpro's engineering, manufacturing, and field testing, where vehicles undergo tests that log over 1 million miles every year. They also reach out to you, the pro, through technology blogs and their technical forums to listen, learn, and keep in touch with you. It's amazing to think that Felpro produces over 325,000 gaskets per day, 
That's 325,000 per day in their 1 million square foot facility in Skokie, Illinois. Under the same roof, engineering and manufacturing uphold Felpro quality, utilizing 4,500 active production tools with tooling tolerances to 5 microns. Now that's smaller than a human hair. A tight tolerance like that ensures the sealing ability of Felpro gaskets. And their own in-house chem lab develops proprietary formulations like Permadry Plus to produce 35,000 molded rubber sealing components every day. Plus, with Felpro, you get coverage from 1955 of 96% of all domestics and 93% of all import vehicles. So feel confident that with new engines and new technologies, Felpro will be there with innovative solutions to solve your customers' sealing problems. Felpro, the gaskets professionals trust. Go to felpro-only.com for more information. So I go to Auto Mechanica, and I'm invited to go into this g- group where uh, there's there's uh, techs that uh, have raised their hand and says, yeah, I'm willing to mentor someone through the two- or three-day event so that they could max it out. I'm, I'm a veteran of I, – I know exactly you know, how to partake max benefit. I well, think the mentoring think, would have to start beforehand. Right. And generally what you'll find is people that you – people that are available to mentor – you don't want as a mentor. So you probably have to ask a bunch of people, you know, or, or seek out a bunch of different people that, you know, cause, Oh, I'll be your mentor. Well, that's great. You have time because you don't know anything or do anything. So it's obviously a big challenge, but it's just something to consider. We, we can, we can tear this apart and, and, and maybe not find a perfect conclusion, but Matt, what was your big takeaway? Uh, did you, did you go to a class yourself at all? Uh, I didn't get to because of the trade show uh, schedule. Yeah, you were working, and you you were did you were you training and just working, or just working the the booth? Just working the booth for uh, Pico Technology, and then um, luckily I was the booths were situated so that I was back to back with uh, AES Wave, uh, George and Carlos Menchu, and I got to kind of I I like being able to bounce back and forth uh, between the two, but I was there uh, primarily for Pico and. There's plenty to do uh, in the Pico booth. Uh, the biggest takeaway, uh, I think really maybe a couple things. One is even in this digital age where you could do some you know, Googling or search engine internet research to find some of these vendors, it's still important to handshake and look people in the eye. The other takeaway was something I think I brought up Maybe a vision for Tech Talk 1. I, I fear that we're really, really good at stealing the enthusiasm from young young or or, or new new members new of the trade. Yeah. yeah, new so we have a, it's happened multiple times uh, and what do you mean by steal wait, what do you mean by stealing? I was trying to think of a better word than steal. But uh, what's that? Stifle. Yeah, stifle, suffocate. Okay. Um, All right. That's kind of what I thought you were going with, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Well, I notice it mostly with the younger techs. They come into the Pico booth, and the shop does not have an oscilloscope of any sort. And they're very enthusiastic. They've hit a couple of classes at that particular event. And they're very enthusiastic. They want to start 
improving their game. They want to get better at the analysis side and they're there with a shop owner or a manager and they're looking at these pieces of equipment. And some of these pieces of equipment, I just can't accept are cost prohibitive. And yet they're met with, you know, it's not in the budget. It's I've talked to some other friends about this and they don't use anything like this. So I don't think we really need it. You're, you're kind of looking at this exuberance, this enthusiasm to go on a path of getting better and better. And it's just being blocked. And eventually that kid or that, that young uh, person is going to get to the point where it's going to be, screw it. Don't give me the check engine light. Give me the ball joints. That's where the money is anyways. So, you know, it, it just kind of chokes that, uh, that life, that light maybe, um, to improve themselves. We, we just take that away from them. It's, it's sad to see annoying, but really sad to see. So are you saying you can make more money doing ball joints? I can't, but I'm sure a lot of techs can. Unfortunately, I'd like to make the argument that, um, you know, passion and a drive to do it could uh, overcome that, but it really can't because the uh, financial burden is too great for a technician on his own to purchase the, uh, I mean, certainly a guy could purchase Pico on his own, but, you know, um, if it was required to, you know, oh, I'm going to, you're, you're going to have to purchase your own scan tools and, you know, all that sort of thing, it, it, it guys don't make enough, you know? Yeah, and the initial cost might not be what gets you. It's you start adding all those together, and now you have these updates to do. I'm curious, Matt, when the, the people were coming, that you you got this impression about cost prohibitive. Was it a individual or was it a shop owner? And do you ever sit down and do an ROI analysis with them? Typically, it's the shop owner. When it's a tech, it's a little bit different, right? You know. Two three thousand dollars to a, an individual is much much different than to a business. And how does the tech get the ROI on that versus the shop? The shop's ROI should be much more rapid than an individual tech's, even if the tech's flat rate. This whole thing brings me to the thought of specialty. Um, is are we going to? Are, is there going to be one really good diagnostic shop? in a community that serves, you know, four or five zip codes and they're going to have all that equipment and they're going to, do, this shop's going to do the ball joints and the heavy and they're going to just send it like Matt, just like what happens at your place. Yeah. Uh, maybe I, I kind of want to touch on that ROI thing a little bit because I think it's kind of a, I, I touched upon it on our last interview a little bit, but mo- it was more about uh, uh, an employee's contribution where you still run into a similar situation with equipment. How do you associate the value of that equipment to a shop when it comes to capability? You know, there's certain things you can track and it's, it's fine. You're going to track it. It makes sense. You buy this OE scan tool and you can fairly easily keep track of when you're using that tool. And if you really needed to use it, what about the work that that tool or possessing that equipment brings in that has nothing to do with that particular piece of equipment. Because you say the shop has the capabilities, so bring me all your 
you're poor, you're tired, all your challenges, and I'm the go-to shop. And you say there's there, there's more opportunities by being that go-to shop. Right. They, the A client brings a vehicle to you of one car line, one make, one manufacturer, whatever. You, you can repair it because you have this piece of equipment that's dedicated to that vehicle. And maybe they have three, two, three other vehicles, but they're not the same car line that they're now bringing to you because you had this piece of equipment and you succeeded in fixing the car. It's That's when things start to get out of a lot more difficult to track. And I, I don't know that that's always looked at. I don't know if we sell... Like, our, like I think you're alluding to the shop I work at, we sell capability. And that's why other shops make use of uh, Bob and Pete because Bob and Pete bring capability. Well, Bob does. According to Bob, I don't do anything. So, Hey, I just watch the map and see what kind of cars get done, dude. Hey, that's fair enough. Yeah. Fair. All right. Okay. One to three a day, I know. Big, big brother. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Uh, I, get, I, I get my I will, three done, I, will, I get to go home. That was you, the deal. I will give this. Pete does fix cars for some of the other guys in the company <laughs> via phone or text or whatever. Well, so he is bringing value. But uh, I, just oh, want, yeah. I just want everyone to just know that. Probably we, not <laughs> The fact that he gets off at three and starts at ten is the part that I want to get on board with. Well, uh, I want to tell everyone that we're doing a performance review here on Tech Talk Six. <laughs> some might think you're angry. Some might think you're jealous. Jealous. Jealous at all. <laughs> I personally don't care either way. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not hiding it. It's on full, full on jealousy. Yeah. Getting into what Matt just said, Bob, uh, you're, you know, both Pete and Bob are mobile techs, and you are helping, you're bringing capabilities to shops that don't, and obviously you're doing a lot of collision stuff and later model things, but how often you get called into a shop that, that, um, that doesn't have the capabilities, doesn't have the equipment? Every day. Every day. Every car. And, and so, Matt, it goes back to... Maybe this is the way it's going to be. I don't need a PicoScope. I don't need scan tools. I need Bob Hype and that and in the, the company. Going to what, part of what Matt was talking about as far as the ROI uh, tech versus shop. Um, for a tech to get ROI, yeah, it's going to take a lot more cars uh, than a shop because similar to mobile auto solutions that Pete and I work for, we have an ROI that we can take and look at all of these tools that we spread across multiple shops. Well, the shop has tools that they spread across multiple customers and technicians. So if they're not able to have ROI rapidly, they're purely mismanaged. There's There's no way around that. They're mismanaged, mismarketed, the whole nut. There's not enough Diag work to support the tech and or the equipment. Again, mismanaged, mismarketed. Uh, I worked for a brick and mortar shop years ago, and I jumped in. I was the guy that bought factory tooling. 
I was the guy that went over to other shops and marketed our shop. Hey, you can't fix that. Guess what? I got this equipment. Bring it to us. We all make money. It's capitalism. Let's all make money and learn how to market it so we all make money. You know, Bob brings up such a great point. Matt, let me ask you, how has your company marketed you and your um, your skills in, in not only in your own shop, but the marketplace. Have you have you done what Bob said? Reach out to the shops and say, bring your bring your tough problems here. Yeah, I think I'm I'm probably a bad example because it's been over such a long period of time that I've been local, and I think it started out even young that the willingness to help other local shops with a, a problem child, whether it was over the phone, lunch period, run over and take a look at it with them, uh, forging a relationship with them and kind of gaining that. But uh, going with what you're talking about, I did. I, I made a threefold flyer and I went door to door. I went to each shop and luckily I didn't really have to introduce myself. They knew knew who I was. But I said, these are some of the things that we're willing to help you with. I'm not here to take business from you. I'm trying to be here to help you out. This is what I can do. I the, the client, your client doesn't even have to know I'm involved. Basically a mobile tech, but I work for a brick and mortar shop. That has helped immensely. So if you're a shop with capabilities, you can market yourself to the marketplace. And have you ever walked into a, a shop and people thought that you were competition or did they recognize that you were co competition you were willing to help them and work together my situation would have been they knew i was there to help but i think that just goes back to the years and years and years of trying to help them yeah and i totally get that and i've heard people go out and say recently listen we've got to unite the industry so if someone comes into your shop and saying listen i can help you with your diag work don't look at them as the competitor two three miles down the road look at them as someone who's willing to help keep the business on the independent side of of the world and not chase someone to a dealership yeah and if i can legitimately help them it pays its it pays its way forward there are times where we've needed a piece of equipment, you know, whatever that may be, we, a special tool of sorts. And then you know a, a certain shop has that, and you call them up and, hey, could I rent this from you? And, you know, they chuckle, are you kidding? Come and get it. Or they'll even deliver it because you've bent over backwards to help them. It, it You know, what so, goes around comes around. So now we get into the end of the game of are we enabling the shops that should be going out of business to stay in business? And that's a whole discussion in its own. And to, I mean, to that, whenever I talk to somebody that says I'm enabling a shop, I said, if you saw my invoices, you probably think other, because I'm, I'm not going to charge some reasonable amount of money so that the shop can uh, just go about doing business. They're, they're going to feel pain. They need to feel pain. Uh, if they don't feel pain, they're not going to uh, have any motivation to change. Yeah, but enabling, um, to me, reminds me of that specialist. Well, listen, uh, you got to go to a brain surgeon. you got to go to a cardiologist. 
um, what's wrong with being a specialist in diagnostics and helping a shop that's so heavy and mechanical and they're successful, you know, five or six bay production shop, great people, lots of great A techs, good marketing program, but they've never invested and they're not good at Diag. God, they, they, they you, first of all, they don't have A techs if they're um, just a purely a mechanical on. shop like that. They're B techs. There's probably an A tech on staff somewhere. Well, if they I can't diagnose a car, then no. But uh, here's the thing, though, to Bob's point earlier about uh, enabling them. Um, I have absolutely no problem with, quote, unquote, enabling people if they realize and understand and act appropriately with their capabilities and limitations thereof. If they realize, if they're not going to tool up that they're going to need to uh, sublet and, you know, and when they need to do that, that's a great thing. Are you enabling or are you having a symbiotic relationship? Well, that's what I'm saying. But that's, that's sometimes a, you're in enabling. Other times you're having a relationship that both parties. I don't, make I don't like the word relationship here, Bob, especially coming from you. It's just kind of weird. So, OK, so give me give me a scenario where you're enabling somebody. I always go back to. The one shop that I was at, and he asked me about a PO420. And uh, he says he might want me to help out with this Diag that they've already uh, used an infrared uh, thermometer to check the temperatures before and after the cat. This is an OBD2 vehicle. So they, they've they've also just to, be clear, that is not, just to be clear that's not an approved method at all they've also pulled the cat down and looked through it and they've deemed it good i'm guessing because well it, it, it looked good right you know I, so i asked them about fuel trims they don't know what the hell i'm talking about with the fuel trims i asked them about exhaust leaks I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. If I help this person, I'm enabling them. They should not be working on vehicles. Step away from the freaking thing and say, what would you like on your dog? (laughs) Yeah. Well, in the Chicago area, that's mustard only. Is that right? No, 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 no. No no, ketchup. You can't have ketchup. You can't have ketchup. It's mustard, onion, pickles. Exactly. Relish. Uh, Relish, but not like a whole. No, a pickle. Yeah, a pickle. Onion, celery, salt. Right. Uh Okay, but no ketchup. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not personally. um, Just gotta have a Chicago dog. Hot dogs are hot dogs. Uh, I like crowd on my dogs. Whatever you know, mix it up. Sure. Uh, I I like. I like going to Flavor Town. Flavor Town. Yeah. Is that like Boys Town or something? Is that something different? Um. Well, I just, I don't I've know. I've never been I'm to Boys Town. I'm not from, not sure. Well, actually, I'm not actually, from Chicago. Chicago These are just things I've heard. It, I have been to Boys Town in Chicago. It was perfectly professional. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, tell us more about your part time job. Love to hear about it. Sounds fascinating. This was strictly on the books, on the record. So, so it's a sticky <laughs> What happened to Carm? I think we lost him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I wanted. But, yeah. So. Yeah. So clearly that is a, a very good example of enabling to which I have no uh, counterpoint to at Thank all. Thank you. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, but I think, I think that's so obvious that. Oh, by the way, I don't think the shop's in business anymore. <laughs> we can hope. Yeah. Bob, are there moments where you do get called in and they're they're good, and you help them learn something new while you're doing your diag? Uh, you, you show them a few things that they may have missed and what you found, and are they accepting um, the help that you're providing? It depends on the tech and the attitude. Um, if I think that they're um, wanting to learn and uh, wanting to uh, have curiosity to it and all the rest of it. You know what? Um, I'm willing to talk. It's probably, and and usually it's not the customers that we make our bread and butter on. So it's not, if, if I teach them something and they don't use us as much, it's not going to hurt business shops. We make our bread and butter on are not interested, not interested at all. I mean, please don't talk. And generally, to me I my head hurt. right. Um, generally, uh, when a guy who has the right attitude and is you know just truly stumped, he's probably pretty close or had considered the possibility. Just maybe doesn't ought to prove it type of thing. In that situation, that conversation's not that long, anyways. He's close, probably very helpful along the way of the diagnosis, anyways. You know vehicles ready uh, whatever you need is that your beck and call sort of so to speak that type of situation is uh it's hard not to want to help the guy out and and, and show him what's uh, what he might have missed or how he could have you know approached it differently because you see the motivation on their part the true frustration on their part the, you know um, they know they're missing something they just can't grasp what it is yeah. and if you can bring them over to that little piece they're like, holy shit! Yep, exactly. And that and that little piece, that little that little t- turn in the road is, it's not a long conversation, right? Right. You know, I'm not going to sit there and discuss theory, theory theory of it and all that with. Um, no, that's where you say, "Here, let me uh, introduce you to Tim Hotellingly and uh, uh, these classes that you can go to, and uh, further." Your no, I just I just say I don't know, and here's your bill. I don't, I don't. I'm all done after that. That's that's it. Hey guys, what are you seeing when it comes to ATIS calibrations? Uh, are you seeing a lot when you're getting called out, or are you getting called out specifically for ATIS calibrations? Constantly, yeah, every day, all yeah. Right way, wrong way, misinformation, lack of understanding. What's going on? I think there's a lot of all of it. I mean. Um, I think that there's a lot of people doing wrong way. And when I say that, I mean, uh, they're not looking up the service information. They're shooting from the hip. Um, they're looking at YouTube. Um, they're, you know, just kind of just maybe, and maybe it's a situation that this is, um, what, they've been thrown into and there's the shop won't step up to the plate and be a professional shop. I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm trying, I'm not trying to sit there and throw rocks. I'm trying to say what I see. 
And, uh, I, I mean, I, I read something about, uh, um, somebody taking a class about alignments and how it needs to be spot on and you can't uh, even be in the green zone. And, um, I see that and I just wonder, did the guy, what kind of questions were asked in the class? Because when I read that, I say people stopped using the logic that they uh, used to dictate. Well, what, can you qualify, qualify for me what you mean by the green? Now, if, I mean, if you have uh, green just means with intolerance. Correct. So if uh, you could still have an inappropriate cross camber um, or, or something to this effect, even though both sides are intolerance. But wouldn't you have, you have a cross camber intolerance, don't you? Yes. Well, so, generally speaking, generally right. speaking, I'm, I'm sure that doesn't exist for all vehicles, but you would. Well, but so. I mean, where, where do, uh, where do the alignment come? I mean, basically we have two alignment companies. We have Hunter and we have Bean, right? right. Yeah. Where do they I mean, get their information to put the tolerances and the information in? You would like, yeah, you would like to believe it's all, you know. I have to wait, wait, wait. Okay. Taking a step back, do the OEs have their own alignment machines? No. So if the OE is using alignment machine X, are they going to give them? Garbage information? Willfully, no. Okay. Obviously, we've seen OE service information with wrong information. Yep. That's why. That's right. Yeah. I mean, they're not doing it willfully. It's not malicious. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Right. So, in the green is going to be an OE spec and tolerance. I'm not going to agree with spec, but I'll go with tolerance. Well, I mean, the tolerance is on one. On, it's kind on, of semantic, a kind of a semantic argument, but it's. I would say they're two different. Things. They start with the well, you, right? Because they're giving the you a range, they're, right? But and you yeah. have plus or so minus spec. to the right. spec, right? Agreed. And, and the that's OE gives you sure. both yeah. those, right? I agree. So, obviously, I don't know how many alignments everybody has done. But I used, I used to do a lot. I, I, it's one of the you, few things I enjoyed. So you could be perfectly in spec. And is it going to go down the road straight? Maybe, maybe not. Probably, probably was, not. <laughs> well, I said maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously there's other factors. factors. Yeah. yeah. So road crown, all the rest of it, right? Sure. Yep. Tire pole, so, who knows? Yeah. There's all sorts of things that go into it. So. But then on the other hand, of the, so that's the alignment part of it. But then you have the other part of it is does the, um, what does the manufacturer use? Are they using thrust? Are they using center line? What are they using to uh, come up with? There is no alignment PID, you know? So this is, these are inferred values, right? Based on steering angle is only part of the equation. It's assumed to be, Right, because they're going to use to the, yaw. Right, it's assumed to be correct relative to the center line of the vehicle, right? Right. Um, you can have a, a dog tracking vehicle with no indication of it. Just saw a hilarious video on Facebook yesterday. Somebody was recording an explorer going down the road at about a 30 to 40 degree angle, going straight, <laughs> you know. 
And it's like, holy cow, how is the vehicle going to determine that it's actually occurring? It's not because it's going to, I mean, it's going to use yaw. Right. Which should be virtually zero, right? Right. It should be virtually zero. If somebody's calibrated some, right. Somehow calibrated uh, steering angle. These are all possible. But I think what a lot of these guys need to do, and, and you know, I think anybody that wants to diagnose some these systems or, or even perform the calibrations, we got to step back and think about what, what's the goal? Uh, how does this system work? What are the assumptions that are made? By each vehicle. By each or vehicle, each by each, I mean, each system. Each. It, it's not a situation that you can be like the ASC tests for hybrids or diesels or whatever, where you can take an amalgamation of vehicles and throw them together just so we have a book that allows people to take the test so that it's fair for everybody. So the composite vehicle of right. sort, yeah. You, I mean, you throw that throw that scenario out. Right, but I, I think that you can speak in some, I mean, obviously these systems have more similarities than differences. Sure, you, I mean... I, I would think the nuances, of course, are there, but the uh, the similarities being that, you know, we assume the vehicle drives in a straight line and the steering wheel is straight. Not, not even that the steering wheel is straight, that the steering angle sensor represents that the vehicle is going straight. Um, so our inputs that are assumed because they can't truly be measured are appropriate. And so... A lot of times the questions come up as to when is it appropriate to calibrate this? Uh, when does it need to be calibrated? Well, I think the simple answer is if it's possible to change it, if by moving it or whatever the situation that caused your concern for does it need to be calibrated, yes or no, did that affect the relationship of the vehicle center line to the facing of that detection device. I'm sure you can say that better, Bob. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking. I know it's... I totally babbled that, just bobbled it. But you, you, I, I'm sure you understand my point. It's it's one of those things where typically a tech in the bay, if you can get the light off, it's good. Yeah. Right? Like, and I mean like the warning light, if there mm-hmm. is. Where sure. ADOS, and I mean... Just because there's danger. no light doesn't mean there's no problem. Right. I'm in danger of overgeneralizing, but if you get the, if you perform the calibration, even if you do it wrong, it may succeed, but it's not calibrated correctly and can cause more harm than good. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. And but that's more so the person performing the calibration. Absolutely. And not so much as how the car itself is operating most of the time. Guys, what kind of training have you guys had to to learn all of this? YouTube, Google. Yeah. Um, my wife reads stuff to me. I get I get l- these tapes that I listen to when I go to sleep. Is that the one Crystal made for you too? She reads those books. To yeah, I got this cool bumper sticker. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> Is that funny or what? <laughs> Somebody put on my van today. One of the guys I work with actually had a body tech at one of the shops that I go to put it on so that I wouldn't figure it out. It says, uh, what does it say? Warning. 
this vehicle makes frequent stops at your mom's house. We have a good time, I tell you. And of course, the body tech was more than willing to, you know, to help get so me in anyway. To be to to go back to your question, Carm, as uh, and try to be um, serious would be. I have taken some classes. I've been disappointed in some classes. I think the most uh, knowledge that I've gained is um, by reading service information, by performing the task while reading service information, asking myself during the thing, did I just do that right? Um, I, uh, a classic example. Yesterday I did a uh, calibration on a Subaru for a blind spot. And uh, Subaru, um, besides being snowflake mobiles, um, suck hard. And they give you this horrible service information with crappy pictures that Nissan would be embarrassed by. So um, I have to drop. I, a I can't off. actually picture Nissan being embarrassed by anything. I just cannot. <laughs> have you seen uh, the illustrations that are in a Nissan manual to date? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, like the the character, the cartoon yeah. character so, blowing into a vacuum line is. Right. Still yeah. used. So it's too much. So anyway, you gotta drop a plumb bob from two points underneath the vehicle with these really horrendous photos and descriptions. And then you have to draw take uh, some string and basically triangulate to a point, set your target at a specific height, obviously on flat surface, blah 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 blah. And then you use the uh, scan tool to run the calibration. So I do this calibration on this uh, Subaru following their information. And I drop the plum in a wrong spot. So it calibrates. It's all good. I drive it down the road and uh, it all works. So I give it back to the customer, tell them, uh, here you go. Everything's good. Blah, blah, blah. They call up today and say, hey, you know, that Subaru you just did, it's broken. It doesn't work. So I go back today and I look at it and I drop the plum and I do the whole thing over. And I'm, I'm like, it, it, it calibrates fine. I, I'm, I'm really just struggling. And I asked the rest of the group of the in our company, hey, what do you think? Boss says, uh, those Subarus, they're tricky. Make sure you're finding the right spot to, that you're dropping the plum and measuring from and whatnot. And so I go back and I reread and I reread and I look at their crappy pictures and I drop a plum from a different spot in the back. And my triangulation now in the correct spot, the sensor cannot see the target. Now I have to make adjustments. I make adjustments. I get it to see the target. I get it within calibration specs. The car's fixed. I can't, I mean, I've done a whole bunch of these Subarus and never had a problem. This one kicked my ass. But now you know. Uh, it's wisdom. and I hope. And there, there really aren't any schools to put you through a Subaru calibration program. This, this is 
pretty much training that you've got to know on your own. Trial and error to yeah. some extent, trying to decipher the crap that they uh, give us and hope that it's correct. Here's another example. Hyundai, maybe it's Kia, has a uh, spec for figuring out a um, blind spot again. So they have uh, some different degrees and angles and whatnot they have to figure out. And um, one of the guys in the company, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Hyundai. I could be talking out my ass. Um, says, the, oh no, it was Mazda. Says the calibration is measure out X number of uh, millimeters. Or centimeters the numbers were inverted. The back, and the numbers, the numbers in SI are inverted. So the distance from the rear of the vehicle should be what is specced as the distance to the side and vice versa. So service and that's how, it's, that's how it's published. It is since corrected on the Mazda website, but, but it, that is a recent calibration for a car that's been on the road for at least three years. It makes you wonder. Yeah. How you feel, how are you supposed to fix the cars if they can't even give you the correct information? And it takes three years to get it right. You know, you're talking about the, the weak photos or drawings to put you in a position to succeed is severely lacking. Like, why make it any more difficult to get something pertinent right? Because then you assume legal responsibility. Calibration, is it only going to be done? Are you guys going to only be called into collision shops for wrecks or in a normal repair of a vehicle in a mechanical shop? Will there ever be... Um, calibrations for Addiston? Going to have to, yeah. Um, not generally. It's going to depend on the size of the wallet the person owns. Yeah, because I won't fix my car. <laughs> if I have an ADAS problem, I'm not going to. Uh, under what conditions, though, and what type of equipment uh, would they be fixing or replacing at a mechanical shop? I think there's some situations where they're taking stuff apart to access the front of the car, they may be removing the bumpers to access the front of the engine. I think, unfortunately, right now, unwittingly, they're putting it all together and shipping the car, not knowing that they've most likely disturbed uh, a camera. And I can't even imagine. It's been a long time since I've done one. But I used to do, I mean, a regular basis, timing belts on Volkswagen Audi. And you have to pull the bumper and all this stuff to get to the freaking front of the engine and do this job. There's two, not one, there's two cameras in the bumper for ATIS. You pull these things off. Nobody can do this other than the dealer right now. And it's like a five or six hour process. $1,000 added on to a routine job. And the people that are doing the job have no clue. You guys see that it's uh, it's it's booked in book time? Is it there? Good question. I'd be stunned. Let me look it, it up. Be, Do we have a... Uh, it doesn't have to be in book time. It has to be how is the service information written? And right. do you know how to look up book time? And then, you, yeah, exactly. You're adding it. Yeah, but you would think that would be included in R&I a bumper or, or you know... Not a bumper, but, you know, I'm trying to think of an apple. You would, you would like to think that. I just don't right, think exactly. that's right, necessarily right. the reality. I'm thinking like a 12 or, 12 or 13 A6 maybe. Yeah, I would think so. 
Pete's looking it up right now. But yeah, I mean, life is going to change. But I mean, recently I saw um, on another website somebody uh, trying to get people to talk at or attend a um, roundtable discussion. Maybe I forget exactly. I could look it up if you really want to know. On ATIS aftermarket installs for people wanting to. I've got my blah, blah, blah car. It doesn't have any ATIS, but you know what? It's cool, and I want to put it on. Oh, my God. Yeah, what kind especially of like adaptive cruise control. Oh, that's a cool – I that would, would love a- to have adaptive cruise control on my car. First time I ever drove it, I'm like, <laughs> this stuff's sweet. I don't know about the rest of the stuff. I mean, I like to be able to – personally, I wish people would turn their heads to change lanes, but – the other part about that is they have to use turn signals now. Otherwise, they get aggravated by beeping shit and whatnot. Hey, guys, uh, while, while Pete's doing that, windshields, uh, there's a lot of companies out there that repair them and fix them all the time. We know how critical and important that is. Will there need to be um, – so somebody fixes my windshield, my ATIS goes out of whack. Are they immediately going to a collision shop or a mechanically – where they or the dealer to, to get recalibrated? Yeah, that's for a windshield replacement, Placement. not a repair. Right, replacement. If they're just yeah. doing a, a rock chip, there's they're not doing it. Yeah, I got that. But if but they're doing a replacement, you're not doing a rock chip in the area of uh, the line of sight of the camera either. Correct. So yeah, if you, obviously, if there is a rock chip in that line of sight, you would have to replace the windshield. But if you if you're getting a windshield replaced, in it has a lane keep or something along those lines. You're having a calibration performed. Um, and uh, hopefully they're using an OEM windshield because aftermarket stuff has proven to be garbage. Yeah, I, I, I heard that. And have you guys ever been called in to do? Uh... Oh, yeah, we've done a ton of them. Even I have. We've got uh, a couple of glass companies that contract with us. It's, it's that it's common enough that I've run into it, which I think is I mean, speaks to that how common that is. Is that all being covered by insurance? the The situation I ran into, the insurance company wanted the aftermarket glass put in. That's awesome because now <laughs> they pay two calibration. Yeah, do it, do it but it's not uncommon, and they're probably still money ahead at the end of the day. Because uh, you know, four times it works, one time it doesn't. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. That. The, the they're, math is going to... They're going to figure it out. You know, they're not... They're no dummies. So you're saying that four four out of five times it works? With the aftermarket class, yeah. probably. It might be generous. I don't know. Right. I'm not stuck stuff, but, you know, I'm just playing... Even three out of five are good odds for the insurance company, actually. Probably, because, I mean, OE glass is considerably more expensive. Would you find, Pete, anything? All I'm able to find in the is in the bumper procedure to do it. I cannot get a labor time. Surprise, surprise. My confidence in you is shot. I don't blame you. I don't care that much. I mean, I don't really need to worry about labor time. <laughs> Not something I'm concerned about, generally speaking. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't believe how um, malformed these uh, some of the aftermarket windshields are for some of the vehicles that have cameras in them, you know, that so much so that you can't even uh, you can't even mount the camera because it's the the curve is so so bad it won't fit in the bracket. 
Wow. Yeah, it's beautiful. Hey, Matt, as we bring this to a conclusion, uh, I know you really wanted to dive in a little deeper on the ROI. You know, the cost of training, the cost of equipment, the cost of, of the person, and, and how do shops justify this? Cost is probably the wrong word to use. Um, you got to stop thinking in terms okay. of cost. Investment. And, yeah, oh, I think that, we're all that's Democrats now. <laughs> Purchasing any of this equipment is not your get out of jail free card. I think that might have been suggested earlier is, you know, you don't have this particular piece of equipment. Uh, if you purchase it immediately, you're better off. Like most things, you got to have the personnel to use it. And especially when we're talking about uh, shops like mine or a lot of shops out there where it is multiple makes, all makes, all models. And we're talking about purchasing many different scan tools. Uh, you've got to have somebody around that's got some PC skills to make use of these and not only make the scan tools work, purchasing them, getting the proper software, but then navigating the software itself, navigating these vastly different user interfaces. So you need to have people there uh, that want to do it, that are eager to learn how to use it and continue to get better at using this so that it can be a really good or have a really good ROI for the shop. I've done this on a number of occasions where, you know, somebody, I would do this if I had, you know, I, I get this line frequently. I would have done it. I just don't have the right tool. Oh, okay. Well, I need a nap. It's plugged in. It's turned on. It's open. Go nuts. Yeah, yeah. That's what I figured. Pretty sure it was the other day, maybe it was last week, that uh, I was reading on Skype. Brian, that works for the uh, infamous Eric Ziegler, puts up that uh, customer he's talking to, said that he would uh, have been able to diagnose this if he had a scope while holding a snap-on Varus. Uh, just so you know, you have a scope in your hand, stupid. Exactly. <laughs> So who actually posted that? Brian. Oh, oh, he posted that. Somebody said that on to him. Skype. One of his, one of the customers said that to him. I, I really didn't need you. The only reason I it was kind of one of these things. The only reason I needed you is because I didn't have a scope to do this part of the testing myself. Unbelievable. While, while, while holding, holding a the a freaking test equipment, he says he doesn't have. Ding, ding, ding. All right. All right. We have a winner. Yeah, we do. We do. Hey, uh, Bob, um, second article in Motor Age, I believe. It, and it's not Motor Age. It's ABRN. But yeah. Oh, right. A yeah, ABRN. Yeah. It's third published. Their uh, fourth is in their hands and fifth is being written. And uh, then I'm going to retire, I think. <laughs> from your office. I was going to suggest that after the first one. Uh, so there's some really good, there's no, some good no. articles if anybody wants to catch it, ABRN. Uh, you know, I get to pump out my chest. Yeah, I'm a published guy. Yep, yep, yep. Coming up with topics to write on and Sucks. not feeling that I'm repeating myself is very difficult. I've got all sorts of other things that um, are pulling at my strings of time. Okay, uh, sure, sure. Tomorrow I have my, uh, 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 I've gotten 
involved with politics and just surprises me because you just don't seem that political. <laughs> yeah. Before we close, I want to give kudos to Pete and Motor Age for the work they did at you know Auto Mechanica. To me, it, it doesn't matter. If people did or didn't show up, there's still a lot of work put into it. And Bob, I also want to give you a high five on your articles, but but before we before we quit, one of my job liver. I didn't do shit. Thanks. I'm just kidding. Did you I didn't write? Do did it. you write something I, really, I should know? No, about? I, don't, I don't. I really don't do anything well, worth noting. Hey, thanks to Bob Hype, Matt Fonslow, and Pete Landry for being here for Tech Talk. Part six. I can't believe I'm torturing myself like this. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, just leave it run this time in case you want to grab something off of it. Because the discussion. This is where the good stuff comes. Hey, thank you, Matt, Bob, and Peter, for being on the series. Part number six. Well done. And thank you for listening all the way through. Even if it took you a couple of listens to get it all. You know, the really neat thing about a good listening app is it knows where you left off and it comes right back to the spot you stopped at. Hey, find Matt, Bob, and Peter's key talking points, bios, and links to their previous episodes at RemarkableResults.biz slash E362. Hey, are you listening to the new podcast for the record? Well, it flows right inside your subscription and it's on the website too. Cool, crisp, and often fiery opinions from your aftermarket colleagues as they speak for the record. See you in the next episode, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time...